we always say whatever and what happens on campus doesn't stay on campus and uh, you know a lot of what we're seeing in these private corporations and other sectors of our society are a result of some of the really anti-freedom messages that students are learning on mm -hmm. college campuses so you know we're in this fight for the long haul and there's a lot of work to be done Welcome back to The Kevin Roberts Show. You are in for a treat today because we have a great American patriot, someone who is often in the news, but also someone who often does his best work somewhat behind the scenes. Jeremy Tedesco, who is the senior counsel, senior vice president of Alliance Defending Freedom. Of all of those organizations the Heritage Foundation works closely with, we are proud to say that ADF is one of our closest friends. Jeremy, thanks for being with me. Thank you. So how in the world did you get to do what you're doing now for ADF and for the country? <laughs> well, really, it's just a, a story of God's goodness and sure. providence in my life. So when I went to law school, I, I remember going to law school. And as I was getting close to graduating, I told my wife, I'm not going to work in any place except for a place like Alliance Defending Freedom. Hmm or American Center for Law and Justice, because I really just feel God's call in my life to do work on religious freedom and free mm -hmm. speech issues and life. These core issues that animate me and my faith, um, so important to me mm -hmm. uh, individually and from a faith perspective. So, um, it, you know, that's a hard nut to crack coming out of law school. Yeah. But God was good enough to open a door for me at Alliance Defending Freedom. So really out of law school, I immediately started work as a line litigator at ADF and was just handling every case that uh, came through the door that was in our subject area mm -hmm. and cut my teeth litigating. So it's been, a, it's been great. I've been there for 18 years, Yeah, um, have loved every minute of it. And you know, the best part of the work we do, which I didn't know going into it, I thought it was all, all about mission and vision and uh, you know, protecting freedom. It's our clients. Our mm -hmm. clients are the true heroes of the work we do. Yeah. And when you get to know them and you get to under the, understand the sacrifices that they have made to stand in the gap for the freedoms that we all get to experience and enjoy every day, mm -hmm. that's an, just an amazing inspiration. It yeah. Really well, I, I've been a fan of Alliance Defending Freedom for about as long as you've been there, although we've gotten to know each other somewhat well just in the last year or so. But when I was president of Wyoming Catholic College, we we took on the government twice, once over the contraceptive mandate on Obamacare. And then where I got to know ADF and some of your colleagues was as a result of that and rejecting federal student loans and grants, the college became a target by leftists who were on city councils and county commissions. And what they were trying to do was pass these sexual orientation and gender identity laws. This seems like last century, right? I mean, that, that we'll talk about how that agenda has evolved, but they were trying to basically disallow the college because of its faithfulness and its conservatism from raising money in the, the, the jurisdictions of those places. And we were able to ward that off in, in, in large part because of help from y'all. All of that to say that you have all kinds of clients at Alliance Defending Freedom. And what I meant earlier in my introduction about doing work behind the scenes is that neither you nor any of your colleagues look for any self-promotion. You're, you're happy to get a pat on the back when y'all win. But I just want to say on behalf of people who have benefited from your work, thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, what we find, interestingly enough, is a lot of people know our cases. Yeah. They really know our case as well. I, mm -hmm. I go to a, a local farm market where I live <clears throat> out in the middle of nowhere and, you know, struck up a conversation with the owner of that farm market a few years ago. And she knew everything about Jack Phillips, yeah. Masterpiece Cake Shop. Very passionate about that case. Um, 
told her, well, I'm with Alliance Defending Freedom and we represent him and, and argued his case at the Supreme Court. She's like, I've never heard of you yeah. guys. And so it happens a lot. Yeah. But yeah. Behind the scenes. But yeah, we want to we want to, you know, make it possible for other people to exercise their fundamental freedoms. Mm -hmm. And it takes people like Jack Phillips and Baron L. Stutzman and so many of our other clients yeah. uh, to say, OK, I'm willing to take a stand and suffer real, real consequences, real yeah. costs uh, to defend those freedoms. And, and we're just, you know, in a position to be able to come alongside them and do the work we do in the courts to defend mm -hmm. those freedoms. And, and it's it's a true blessing. Yeah. So about the Jack Phillips case, the masterpiece case, you were on that team. That's right. Tell me about the highest high point and the lowest low point of that experience. Yeah. So the highest, it's it's really hard to, to pick the highest. I'll, I'll say two because mm -hmm. I have to give you, I have to say this one. One is Jack Phillips, the man. Hmm. So the first time I showed up at his shop, um, you know, it's it's in a strip mall out in the kind of rundown part of Lakewood, Colorado. And uh, I, I, I rolled into his parking lot and I jumped out of my car and he jumped out of his and it was this really rundown minivan. So I jumped out and it's a little chit chat. It's the first time I really met him and said, hey, I have, a, I have a minivan. I've got four kids at the time. I have five now. And uh, he said, yeah, well, this is my, this is my older one. I actually gave my newer one, which is 10 years uh, old. This one was probably mm. 20 um, to a friend who needed it because they were down a car. And I said something like, you know, well, why didn't you give him this one? And he's like, well, because God convicted me one day that uh, when I was about to give this car to someone, my rundown car that breaks down a lot, um, that I should give him my best, hmm. you know? And so I actually was on the way with this clunker and turned around, grabbed my better one, gassed it up and gave it to him. And he said, since then, and anybody, anybody knows I'm going to give him my best car if they're down a car. And so I get asked a lot and I always give it to him. And I just thought to myself, this is a really good guy. And, yeah. and, and the reality is he's like that across all aspects of his life, the way he runs his business, the mm -hmm. way he treats people. I mean, he, he was a true honor to represent. So that's one of the high points was right. getting to know Jack Phillips and seeing that the man who was the face of that case was true, truly good to his core. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just some kind of persona. Um, and then, of course, it was winning the case seven to two at the Supreme Court. That was a huge high point. Um, and what a great uh, blessing and a great victory. You know, the court ultimately didn't answer uh, you know, the, the free speech coerced speech question in right. that case, they, they decided on religious freedom cases, but it was a great religious freedom win mm -hmm. and said that the government can't be hostile to people of faith. Um, and that's a baseline rule of living in a free society. Uh, as far as a low point goes, I don't know. What was the low point? I, I, I suppose it was just, you know, watching Jack go through everything he went through. Yeah. And I imagine you would say that. Yeah, because he, you know, he lost so many of his employees, yep. he lost so much of his business, his family suffered. But in all that, God worked a lot mm -hmm. of good ultimately, and not just winning the case, but in Jack's life too. He had, uh, you know, people come to faith and family members come come be be uh, reconciled, and so there was a lot of good that came from from a lot of the costs that we kind of count as costs, um, yeah. as in our human perspective. Yeah. Well, thanks for that summary. I'm curious as I sit here listening to you recount how great a man Jack Phillips is and therefore how great most Americans are, right? That there might've been something in your childhood or young adulthood that was this formative episode that convicted you to do the work that you do, but also 
probably being roughly the same age and, and having a very similar worldview. It may have also just been the recognition that you had of the evolution of the attacks on, on religious liberty. But I know that our audience will be curious to know what it was. Was it a, a single event or was it Jeremy Tedesco going through life realizing, oh, my gosh, religious liberty of all things is under assault? That's a great question. I, I, so there's two things that really formed me. One was, in this, in, at least in driving me to this work, one was I was very pro-life in high school. Mm -hmm. And once I started expressing those views in high school, I started losing friends. And I, I was Interesting. very, very, that was an impactful thing for me. I didn't realize that this issue would be so um, you know, uh, would cut, you know, such fine lines between yeah. myself and my friends. And, and it was just kind of a wake up call, but it wasn't until I got to college where I got embroiled in a just massive college, uh, brouhaha over a lot of the things that we, um, advocate over today, sexual orientation, uh, non-discrimination laws and how yeah. they impact religious freedom. And so I was on one side of the issue and almost the entire campus was on the other side, promoting, um, you know, uh, an agenda that I, I was opposed to. Mm -hmm. And and God just put me in a position where, and, and he really gave me the courage, it wasn't my own, um, to kind of stand against this wave. I had professors writing opinion pieces in the campus paper, um, you know, calling me out uh, saying that I was a cause for violence on campus against, oh, you know, uh, marginalized people. And I was called into the president's office and and, uh, you know, reprimanded. And it was it was a very stressful time in my life, but it also really hardened, you know, my 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 backbone, I think, mm. and gave me courage um, to stand up for these things. So I, it's it's one of those things you can often in life, you're just you're, you're going along, and you're trying to be faithful. But if you take a moment and look back, you can you can kind of draw a straight line between yeah. the experiences that you've had and where you are today and how God you know, used those things to prepare you for the moments you're in. And I'm 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 uh, humbled by, you know, the fact that I get to uh, participate at, and, and at the levels that I do in protecting freedom um, and advocating for these, mm -hmm. these cherished liberties. It's really and just an awesome well, thing I get to do. And you're so cheerful about it in spite of all the barbs that come your way. It, it means you're <laughs> over the target, right? But I, right. I'm, I'm hung up on something, and that is you were called into the president's office. What yeah. was that like? Oh, it was, it was pretty intense. In fact, um, at, during that meeting, <clears throat> uh, they – they, they basically said, if you keep down this path, mm -hmm. um, we're going to have to you know, call on the lawyers because you're basically, uh, you know, claiming that you've been defamed in the, in the school paper and all these different things. And I had no idea what was going on. I was a, yeah. it's a college student that was under an intense amount of pressure from the university. Um, but in the end, we kind of all shook hands and left. And the great thing about the whole experience I had in college was all the things that they were trying to shut down, all the events I was trying to hold to put a pr different perspective out there in the campus community, they all occurred despite every, and I'm talking about a, you know intense amount of effort to shut them down. Yeah. And so we had one of the biggest and most successful events on campus that, that particular year. And, uh, you know, the whole, the whole experience was, was really a success despite all the efforts to shut it down yeah. and make it difficult. No, and, and out of those those moments, those those crucibles, if you will, emerge people like you and your colleagues and so many people in America, not just people like you and me who get to work in public policy or litigation in your case, 
but most importantly, the Jack Phillips, right? The, the individual Americans who are just going about their business, raising their families, running their businesses, and this radical agenda, wokeism as we like to call it now, flies in the face of their freedoms. And thank goodness ADF is there to, to stand up for them. And so from that moment, you're in the president's office trying to figure out what the heck you're going to do. Uh, perhaps you get a little convicted to go to law school. But fast forward to 2022, you and I sit here, we think about the colleagues we get to work with in our respective organizations. And really, if you think about it, Almost everything we're dealing with, regardless of the public policy issue, from education to conversations about taxation, even to foreign policy, thinking about what the state and defense department spend money on with our, our personnel overseas, has to do with being woke. What is ADF doing to confront that challenge? Well, it's really become to define a lot of our work in the sense that the, the, the woke agenda, as people like to describe it now, is really pervasive. It's yeah. taken over all institutions uh, or most of them or is in the process of taking some mm -hmm. of the last standing institutions. Um, and so uh, it's it's really across all the sectors that we work. So whether it's, you know, public schools, public universities, mm -hmm. um, you know, workplace issues, we definitely see um, an incredible amount of overreach mm -hmm. by officials in those arenas. And so, you know, we're pushing back hard through litigation and legislation. We're also, you know, and we're going to talk about it, but we're pushing back in the corporate space as well. Yeah. And, you know, just from a litigation standpoint, we, we have really taken head on the threat to parental rights right. in, in public schools, uh, especially related to critical race theory mm -hmm. being pushed on students um, and, you know, really, um, in in ways that, that aren't, aren't don't just send a, a really terrible message and mm -hmm. toxic message about race and and identity, but also in most of these instances or many of them forces students to violate their own religious convictions, right. to affirm values and, and belief systems that they disagree with. And these are all things that are clearly prohibited by the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. So. It's not just parental rights, it's the students' rights to be free from that kind of compulsion at school. And so, um, you know, that's an, an enormous part of the work we do. You know, on college campuses, I, I, you know, my view is we've been trying to push back on cancel culture for you know, like literally decades. That's yeah. where it all started, right? That's right. And so it's, it's spread. The, 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 the college graduates that learned the cancel culture ways, the safe space ways and all those things now are in the corporations. They're in our institutions. Yeah. And they're taking, unfortunately, the lessons they learned there and applying them in those settings. You know, we always say whatever and what happens on campus doesn't stay on campus. And, uh, you know, a lot of what we're seeing in these private corporations and other sectors of our society are a result of some of the really anti-freedom messages that students are learning on mm -hmm. college campuses. So, you know, we're in this fight for the long haul and there's a lot of work to be done. Um, I, I guess one of the thing I would say is we, you know, one of the vanguards of cancel culture, one of the vanguards of wokeism in our culture, the Southern Poverty Law Center, has also made it very personal to us at mm -hmm. Alliance Defending Freedom because they put us on their hate group list. Right. And, um, you know, and that's simply because you know, we believe things about marriage and and, and and human sexuality and life that they disagree with. Right. And, and therefore, he, you're a domestic terrorist. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it really so, is that simple. It is. And yeah. they just use that list to, to smear their political mm -hmm. opponents and try to silence them. Um, but that has made it personal to us, too. And it's 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 personal in very concrete ways. We get mm -hmm. we get denied access to you know, funding programs and other things because that as 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 discredited and obviously politicized as the hate group label is, 
there are an incredible amount of institutions, media outlets, and others that blindly rely on it for things. Yeah. And, we, and you know, we have to work hard to to continue to keep our views, our values, our liberties uh, from being you know, labeled hate, and for us being you know, uh, you know, marginalized, ostracized because we we stand for these things. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't America be a better place if? the Southern Poverty Law Center would go back to its roots, which I happen to disagree with. Certainly they have a right to exist, but just go back to being an annoyance for those of us who are conservatives rather than what is truly ill-intentioned. And, and, and I'm someone, as I know you are, who doesn't go through life imputing motive. But in this case, there are now so many years, now well over a decade since they've made this leftward shift, where if, if someone who calls himself or herself a conservative is not listed as one of their their folks on their hate group list. They they probably aren't working hard enough. I mean that's that that's how absurd right. this list has become, right? It's so true. And you know they have their hate group list, but the thing that people don't know as much about is the Hate Watch blog. Which, yeah, right. Which everybody gets mm -hmm. an honorable. Anybody in the conservative and religious movement who's doing anything of significance, it has been mentioned on there many times, and it's yeah. really the stepping stone to ultimately being on the hate group list. So if, they, yeah. if you're on there enough or something, I don't know, they have no, their standards are completely vague and subjective, but at some point yeah. um, they're going to pivot you to the hate group list if you're on there enough. Yeah. Well, you've decided at ADF to confront that, to confront in particular the woke agenda in corporations with the viewpoint diversity score business index. We'll talk about a prize that Heritage gave you and ADF recently, but tell us about the origins of that in particular, what it does, because this is a tool that can help people, just average Americans fight this. But I think that's also something that people have been asking me as they ask all of you, can you and your organizations give us something to fight back? Right. So the business index is the first comprehensive benchmark to help corporations measure and then improve the respect for viewpoint and religious mm -hmm. diversity across their enterprise. We studied their practices and policies in three sectors. We, we, we divided them into market, workplace, and public square. Mm -hmm. And we had 42 questions that we uh, kind of analyzed data and gave them scores on the basis of that data. Um, and right, the, I mean, the, the index is definitely a tool that's directed at corporations and business leaders to try to help them understand what, how do you measure viewpoint diversity and religious yeah. diversity in the workplace? And then how do you improve um, your, your, your reputation and your atmosphere, your, your culture within your business corporation uh, when it comes to those issues? But it's also a tool for the broader you know, conservative community mm -hmm. and, and just people who love freedom to look at this and understand you know, how are these corporations failing in this regard? But more importantly, what can we do to try to put pressure on them to make changes, positive changes? You know, to go back to, you know, why we did the index. In the end, it's about concentrated power. Mm -hmm. and, and the problem of concentrated power in our age really lies with private corporations and private corporate power. And you can see that, you know, no greater than with social media companies. Uh, it's a very small group of companies control mm -hmm. access to. Um, and what you can see, say, talk about on these social media platforms. And most Americans, for good or for ill, they, they kind of conceive of themselves and really do exercise their First Amendment free speech rights in those contexts. Now, the First Amendment doesn't apply to those private corporations. They're private businesses. And so you can't file a First Amendment lawsuit mm -hmm. when they censor you or things like that. But the reality is these corporations' policies and practices have an enormous impact 
on public dialogue and our ability to debate issues, right. which is essential to free uh, a free society and democracy thriving and flourishing. Mm-hmm. So that plus the fact that we were very concerned about the broader spread of this kind of social media attitude amongst other corporations, financial service providers, banks, kind of led us to believe that there's an enormous risk of private corporations becoming as or greater threat to free speech and religious freedom than the government is. Yeah. And so without the, you know, same tools in the toolkit, the First Amendment, being able to file litigation so readily, and even some of the legislative fixes we may have available to us when the government's involved in this kind of conduct, without those things being available, what do we do about it? And how do we set some kind of a benchmark for what we expect from corporations on this issue? So that's that's really what what birthed the index for us. And so mm-hmm. we really it's a long term play to try to con- convince the business community that they they really should care about whether they respect the diverse views reflected within their customer base, their, mm-hmm. their workforce, the broader public square. And they should also at least to be you know, have a net neutral impact on free speech and religious freedom right. and hopefully give back in ways that. Make, sh- make sure that everybody has the freedom to engage in those essential liberties. Yeah. Before I forget, because I still have absent-minded professor syndrome, where does someone find out about this index? <laughs> right. I should be on that too. <laughs> ViewpointDiversityScore.org okay. is our website. ViewpointDiversityScore.org. So viewpoint- That's right. You go there. The index is there. There's 50 companies scored on the inaugural uh, index. It's We focused on... Um, social media companies, tech companies, and, yeah. and financial services and, and banking uh, service providers. So name some names for us. Yeah, sure. You've got 50 well, I mean, anybody else, if you name anybody, they're probably on there. So Bank of America, Meta, mm-hmm. Alphabet, which is Google and, and YouTube. Um, the good guys. The, yeah, Adobe, Airbnb, you'd be surprised maybe is on there. Paychecks. So a lot of fintech services yeah, on okay. there. That, which Wells makes Fargo. sense, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So it's really some of the biggest names, um, household names in American business. And they are the ones that have the greatest uh, you know, ability, potential to impact free speech and religious freedom from our perspective. They really are. And it's it sort of snuck up on us, right? So I, I mentioned the following to celebrate the great work of you and your colleagues with the the index not to uh, to promote heritage. But Heritage has been blessed with a lot of generous donors, and we decided, given great fiscal stewardship of of our permanent endowment, that we could sort of spend some of that interest that we've earned over the years and invest in the movement. That is to say, while Heritage works on every public policy issue, there are partners, especially like Alliance Defending Freedom, who occupy a lane that we will never occupy, uh, which allows us to complement your work. And so we gave... Alliance Defending Freedom recently, $100,000 grant to scale this, to expand this work. And it's a real celebration of what you're doing. But tell us how the index will expand, not necessarily because of Heritage's gift. That's not why I'm asking the question. I'm asking the question from the standpoint of audience members who just want to know in a year or two, is this list going to have more than 50 names on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, And we're very grateful for the gift. And it's such a great honor. Yeah, really appreciate it. 
we will we will actually grow the impact and scope of the index over the years. Uh, there will be additional companies added, mm-hmm. you know, ten to twenty a year most likely. Um, but we're also going to increase the scope of the index as well from a, from what we're studying. Um, one of the things we're I think almost definitely going to add, whether that's a year two or year three thing, I haven't decided yet. We're still assessing, but as an international religious and and free speech. Component. Oh man, what a need. Yeah. So um, there, there are, you know, we keep getting told by folks who are looking at the index, there's an enormous need to, to judge them on how they are participating in mm-hmm. a lot of evils internationally when it yeah. comes to these same issues. And, so, and that's, I mean, it's very obvious and we know this. We tried to focus in on the domestic side and the inaugural index, but we definitely want to grow it into the international uh, arena over the years. So we will continue to grow it. And, you know, one of the things I'm excited about is that, um, you know, we're also going to try to get our some of our friends um, to take and participate in the index who we think will get really good scores too. Because good. one of the things we really want to show is that there are people who are doing it the right way. Yeah. And we, we have champions out there who can show the path to a lot of businesses who are who are probably looking around right now and saying, I really don't want to suffer the consequences that Disney is suffering yeah. or Netflix or Twitter, you know, uh, because of their their embracing of wokeism and uh, of pushing so far left. Yeah. The pendulum is swinging back. And while the Fortune 1000, Fortune 500, I, you know, they're movable probably mm-hmm. on a lot of these issues. We'll see how movable. Mm-hmm. I think there's a broad swath of businesses out there who are looking at the experiences of some of these, you know, blue chip companies uh, right now uh, over their the, the the kickback, the, you know, they're getting over their embracing of wokeism and are thinking there's got to be a better path. Yeah. And I really think this index shows that it's it's about broadly respecting the 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 the, the, the diverse views represented within your workforce, your customer base, yeah. the broader public square. Why wouldn't you want to be known for that? It's not about driving these companies to be conservative companies or religious right. companies or take positions on issues that we want them to take. Yep. We just want them to, ref- to to respect these freedoms and do things that give back in the, to the community in a way that that affirms uh, those and, and supports them. I'm glad you clarified that because I knew that about the index, but I think a lot of times as Americans, especially if they're center center left, even center right, they hear these efforts like the the index you're working on, some of the work that Heritage does in education, and they think, oh, these are guys just trying to make everything conservative. Decidedly not the case. If that happens, that's fantastic, right? Right. But all we want is for them to be neutral. I mean, I think about my friend Peter Rex, who's also a recent guest on the show, and Peter himself is a conservative Christian. He doesn't require that of his many employees. All he requires of them is to do business in a way that's objective and neutral, and at least as it pertains to their lives professionally, to come to work and work rather than to use their work as a cudgel against those of us who are conservative. Yes, absolutely. And you know, I think what a lot of the businesses are doing by embracing this identity-based understanding mm-hmm. of diversity is they're, br- they're bringing a lot of toxicity into their workplaces. They're setting up these you know zones and these even these groups inside their organizations that become activists that yeah. push them in all these different directions. And the reality is, you know, they, they need to to adopt an understanding of diversity that's based on a diversity of viewpoint and perspective, right? not on skin color and all these other factors that you know, the left really drives when mm-hmm. they're talking about diversity. 
Um, those things really are a path to a very destructive and toxic workforce, for instance. And yeah. we've heard these stories from people we've talked to who are, you know, unfortunately inside of corporations that have that have full scale adopted these practices. And they're saying it is just driving wedges between people inside yeah. the workforce. And you even saw it with Disney when they engaged in the parental rights bill down in Florida and they had the, a pretty large group of anonymous um Disney employees, conservative religious Disney yeah. employees, write an open letter saying it is very toxic to work at Disney. It's an unfriendly place and we're afraid to be outed right. and we'll lose our job. I don't think any business ultimately will survive if that's the kind of workforce force they're cultivating. And if they follow our index, they'll have a workforce that's good for everybody that's yeah. accepting of all views. That's right. And then, and then perhaps, just perhaps, we could get back to a situation in the United States where our civil discourse is actually civil. Yes. But you and I both know as conservatives dating back to when we were in high school and college that that's been uh, that's been difficult. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of that, you know, as we sit here recording this in Washington, D.C., but three or four blocks from the Supreme Court, having you uh, seated here <clears throat> inspires me to ask you what you think is going to happen with the road decision, the Dobbs yeah. decision. Sure. Sure. Well, you know, we're certainly hopeful uh, based on the, the the released opinion that yeah. it will result in an overturning of Roe. Um, you know, we ultimately can't know mm -hmm. what the outcome is. That opinion was it was dated sometime in February, and there are a lot of you know discussions and things that go on um, you know inside the the closed doors of the Supreme Court. So, you know, we we certainly are are very hopeful um, that. Roe will be, be will be reversed, and that issue will be returned to the states. Um, and right now, we're just we're just prayerfully, you know, holding that up to the Lord and asking for that outcome. Mm. And that's that's where we're at. So, you know, we're prepared uh, for a reversal, and you know, we certainly understand that once the uh, reversal occurs, that that is just the beginning of the work in the states. Yeah. And, you know, we, we even see right now um, that work is already undergoing, mm -hmm. you know, and being undergone in the states um, with laws being passed to try to restrict abortion, laws being passed, trying to legalize abortion. And there will be court cases after mm -hmm. if Roe gets reversed. So, you know, we are we are prepping for the 50 state, you know, battle that comes next. Yeah. And, but we're excited about that. Yeah, we are, too. And, and I, I guess I'm not mistaken if I were to say that that 50 state battle, presuming the decision goes the way we think, is going to take many years. I think that's right. Yeah. I think that's right. But if we if Roe is reversed, we get rid of one enormous impediment right. to our ability to advocate for life. Um, and so, you know, it'd be certainly uh, grateful beyond all measure if that's the outcome we get. Yeah. Let's look into your crystal ball with a couple of final questions. Uh, one of them you have a, a case coming up, I think, this fall. You will correct me if I'm mistaken. I know the 303 Creative case. I know that you That's and your right. colleagues are very excited about that. Tell us about it. That's right. So 303 Creative involves a uh, web designer in Colorado, mm -hmm. uh, same state as Jack. Something Phillips. about Colorado. Yes. Man. Yes. Well, we sued on this maybe seven or so years ago. Um, a separate case from Jack Phillips case, but challenging the same law <clears throat> that was used to punish Jack Phillips. Mm -hmm. um, and Lori Smith is a web designer mm -hmm. who wants to create websites celebrating marriages. Uh, lots of uh, engaged couples mm -hmm. like to have these websites designed sure. for them now as a hub for all the people attending to kind of get excited about the wedding and plan everything, communicate messages about the upcoming wedding. And so Lori wants to get into that business, but she can't because of Colorado's law. Because if she gets into that business, creates websites for weddings, 
that she wants to celebrate mm-hmm. between one man and one woman, consistent with her religious convictions. Colorado's law and their interpretation of their law means that she also has to s- create websites for weddings that she disagrees with, that violate right. her convictions, uh, weddings celebrating same-sex marriages. And so rather than suffer the consequences, um, you know, go in and, and, and start that business and start doing those websites, get the request, you know, and, and, and then you have this lawsuit come at her like Jack Phillips had. She filed a preemptive lawsuit uh, asking the court to enjoin the enforcement of that law mm-hmm. in a way that would force her to violate her religious beliefs and create those websites promoting ideas of marriage that she disagrees with. Mm-hmm. And so that's been in the courts for six, seven years. Um, the Supreme Court finally accepted certain that case uh, earlier this year. We actually filed our opening brief about a week and a half ago in that case. And we likely will argue it at the end of November. It's a really important case. I mean, it deals with the issue that was left open in Masterpiece Cake Shop, the free speech issue, whether the government can coerce private business owners who are engaged in expression to promote ideas they disagree with. And, um, you know, one thing I think people really need to understand about this case is it is a case that deals with everybody's free speech rights. Because if the government has this power over one person, it has it over everyone. Mm So if Lori Smith can be compelled to create websites she disagrees with, then, you know, the uh, the atheist web designer can be forced to create websites for churches yeah. or to promote the idea that God exists. Um, and this, this is not something you know, that's not the, that's not a free society. Right. In a free society, we respect the fact that people have these differences of opinion. And we certainly don't use the force of government to compel them to express mm-hmm. ideas they disagree with. These are really fundamental liberties um, that are under attack because a lot of what we've been talking about, the woke agenda, the sexual orientation, Mm -hmm. gender identity, non-discrimination laws, these are all the tools that are being used to coerce conformity and and silence dissent. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important that this case is up at the Supreme Court. We're excited about being able to argue it. Our our, uh, general counsel, Kristen Wagner, will be arguing it probably in the fall. Good. So argued in the fall, and when would we expect a decision? Well- uh man it's that crystal ball thing no later than june of 2023 yeah, i knew that would be the answer but it can't be more specific than that that's right? right yeah that's, that's the nature right. of the beast that's right last question and i'll be abusive and make it two parts the the first is are are you optimistic about americans being able to regain some of the religious freedoms we've lost and secondly what can individual average Americans, most of them not attorneys, do to help effect that change? Sure. Yeah, I, I am hopeful about it. And, and the reason I am in part is because as I've observed what's going on culturally, there was, there was probably a period of time where we felt like we were losing every Defin- battle. Definitely. And the pendulum just kept feeling like it was swinging further and further yeah. to the left. Like the pendulum was going to crush us against that brick wall behind you. <laughs> right. But as we know, yeah. as students of history, um, and just experiencing what we are right now, these pendulums often swing back. That's right. And, and I really, I feel like we're at that moment. I feel like it has gone as far, maybe not in every context as it will, but people are aware now of what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's, it's no longer subterfuge it's no longer obfuscated. It's very clear what's going on. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't like the direction that they're seeing and the path, the ultimate destination of this woke agenda. And so things are getting pulled back. And I think the ground is very fertile. 
And I think that it's incumbent upon us as you know, conservative and religious people to make the case for why what we believe in mm-hmm. and why the things that we believe lead to a flourishing and healthy society are good. Cast a positive vision mm-hmm. for the world as we understand it and why it's good, not just for us, but for everyone, mm-hmm. uh, institutions, individuals. And, uh, you know, so I'm very, I, I'm very encouraged. And I think there's a, there's a great deal uh, of, there's, there's, there's reason to be very hopeful mm-hmm. that we'll be starting to gain ground here soon. Good. Jeremy Tedesco of the Alliance Defending Freedom. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for everything that you and your colleagues do. And you guys as well at Heritage. Thank you. You you bet. Well, thanks again for joining the Kevin Roberts Show. I will put in a plug and say, if you're enjoying the guests, please give us a five-star rating. We will be back next time with another great American patriot who is leading the way to reclaim ground that we've lost. Take care. (laughs) 